welcome to episode 94 of the Haskin Cast podcast. As promised, here is the second half of the interview with Chandra Jefferson. Uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed the first half. Uh, she's very, very uh, engaging and very intelligent and really funny too. So hopefully you enjoyed that and you're back here to listen to the other half. If you're listening to this half first, feel free to stop, go back and listen to episode 92 and uh, you can hear the first half of the interview. I just found a good place to cut it and, and chop it. So we're going to jump right back into the conversation. Uh, before I do that, I'll just remind everybody, please take a moment and rate the podcast on whatever avenue you, you choose to listen to podcasts, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Podbean. Uh, I, I can't remember all where I am now, uh, but rate it if you would like, review it. If you have feedback, uh, please feel free to write me at scott at scotthaskin.com. Uh, and if you'd like to donate to the podcast, that would be much appreciated. You can go to my website at www.scotthaskin.com and then click on the podcast link, go to the donate button at the bottom that will link you to PayPal. If you would like to use an alternative method to pay, uh, just uh, give me a shout at scott at scotthaskin.com. Uh, you know, I know I ask for this every week, but it really helps, uh, you know, the more reviews, the more star ratings you get, it helps get the word out to other people if they're kind of on the fence of whether they want to take a chance and listen to an episode, you know, the more uh, positive things that people say about it, it encourages people to listen and maybe tell somebody else who then will be encouraged to listen. And that is how you grow an audience. And for those of you who have been my audience or who are just coming to the show today, thank you so much for taking time to listen. Uh, for those of you who have shared, who have told others, who have uh, already rated and reviewed, thank you all so much. It really means a lot to me. Uh, what would be the point of doing it if no, there was no one there to listen? So uh, thank you guys very much. And here is the second half of my episode interview with Chandra Jefferson. Speaking of voices and accents, uh, you, yes. among the many things that you do that are awesome, you are a vocal instructor. I am. I'm a coach. How did? How do you? Because uh, you could do that from uh, from Skype, right? You could do anywhere in the world. You can you can teach people. Uh, yes. Do you have a, a, a? Do they have to have a certain uh, level of skill before they're ready to take you on, or do you start from uh, you know prenatal? Well, I think that the first thing I like to do is I just like to know where a person is at. They do not have to be a skilled uh, vocalist. I've worked with people who are just starting. I've picked, I have worked with people who had a fear of singing because something happened to them in their life, but they always felt this pull to want to sing. Um, it's amazing to me how many people have been put down by family or friends or some incident that happened when they were like nine. And they didn't utter a word singing wise for 40 years right. or 30 years. And I've been able to actually I've got several people that are actually singing professionally now um, who were like that. Mm -hmm. So I like working with those folks. Um, I like working with kids a lot. Um, I think there is a, such a thing as tone deaf, but I really do think that people can sing a lot more than they think they can. And a lot of it has to do with listening. So what I do is if I take a beginner and sometimes a professional too, you know, um, who has some problems with pitch or whatnot, it's about listening skills. Right. So I, I kind of take all of it on. I really do. I also work with actors. Mm -hmm. I work with um, speakers and I've done, I've worked with ministers. I've worked with voiceover artists because I do a lot of voiceovers. Um, yeah, I work with people who are auditioning 
and need help with coaching with an audition. Mm-hmm. I, I've had people with me for five or six years. I've got two kids in particular, three actually, that are in law. One's in New York and two are in LA and they're professional actors. And I, one of those kids, uh, I just saw two of them. They kind of surprised me. They were here during the holidays and I didn't expect this, but I went to lunch with one and the other showed up. It was outrageous. Mm-hmm. But um, I had one kid was with me at age 10 until he was 15. And now he just did a supporting role with Tom Skerritt. Oh, very nice. He played Tom Skerritt as a young kid. And um, I just have, I've had some really, really great students. And I've had people that didn't go into the business either. They just wanted to express themselves. Sure. I've yeah. worked with songwriters too. I've worked with songwriters. Uh, I love teaching all that stuff. It's, it, it is a passion for me because coaching somebody and, and really empowering them to embrace who they are uh, and, and to really explore that and to give them a, a feeling of safety, that is really exciting to me. I, it really feels like I'm making a difference there. It yeah. is one-on-one. You know, sometimes I've, I've done classes. Dev and I have uh, created a, a big program here called Sedona Youth Theater. I think it's on its 13th year this summer. And we have kids coming out, and we teach them improv, and it's a nine-day intensive. I work with their voices. We both work with them with improv. They build their own show, and we kind of go in and doctor it up. And and uh, it's good for the community. It's good for the kids. It's great for the library because we worked it out with the Sedona Public Library that they get donations for all this. And mm-hmm. we get paid, too, you know. Sure. And so it's kind of a win-win. But – um. Yeah, and I do coach. I do coach on Skype and have used FaceTime and all that good stuff. So I love doing that. It's really fun. And I've got had a chance to work. Uh, we've got a, a public high school here outside of Sedona who is a state award-winning high school. They're amazing. It's like walking into glee. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, and they hire me to come in and work with the principal leads on musicals. And they've done some work that has blown my mind. They did Fiddler on the Roof. I've worked on seven or eight. I think I've worked on eight musicals for them throughout the last five years. And um, they just did Newsies. I worked on that. They were going to do Shrek this year. I'm going to work on that. But they did Fiddler on the Roof, and it was mind-boggling because the director there, um, it's a full-blown-out orchestra. They use professionals and they use kids. The guy that does all the scenery, it's the guy's a complete professional and he teaches them to do all that stuff. And their scenery is freaking amazing. They've got choreographers. They've got, I mean, you just don't see a high school doing this kind of production. So to be involved in that as the principal lead coach, Oh my God, I love it. It's like so fantastic. Yeah. I I've done some work like that on the university level where they're, you know, where they have at least a, you know, a, a eight or, or 16 piece orchestra, but to do that in a high school, that's that's something that you really have to uh, work hard to make that allowance. Yes. And I have to tell you, these kids are talented. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I'm looking at uh, the the uh, drama teacher who's in charge of all of this stuff, and he's amazing. And I just go, oh, my God, where are these kids coming from? And um, it's just a pleasure. And so the coaching part of what I when I get to do that, I love that part. I really do. And uh, it just makes you feel good. You feel like you're contributing. I've had some amazing things happen, come back around, past students telling me things and honoring me. And it's just, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. You know, you really 
for making a difference. I, I have a question for you, but uh, for first I have to digress for a second and tell you how weird this is getting because a couple of weeks ago on the show, I had my friend Rick Allen, who was a sound designer, and we were talking about different things that uh, were done in movies. And one of the things that we talked about was the uh, the jet sounds in Top Gun and how the sound designer had manipulated them to make them more powerful. So just a couple nights ago, I was watching the film. And uh, of course, I got all lost in the actual film and forgot to pay attention to the jets. But Tom Skerritt's in that film. So here's, you know, here I have this film I haven't watched in like five years. And I happened to watch it a couple nights ago. And now you're bringing up Tom Skerritt. Yeah, I love it. I don't know if something's going on here. Yeah, I had some friends that worked with uh, Michael Ironside too, and said that he was just oh, nice. such a such a great guy to work with. That's cool. That's really cool. Well, my my question for you, and obviously, you know, I don't want to uh, give away all of your secrets, but when when you're on tour. You're going to a lot of different climates, uh, places where the bacteria are different, uh, the air quality is different. I've always wondered for people that that do this, um, you know, and, and there's people that travel the world all the time. That's all they do. What is the secret to keeping your voice in shape and not becoming susceptible to your constantly changing environment? Well, that's a good question because I will tell you it does it does happen. I mean, we we did this tour in 2008, and we knew we had 29 performances. It's a lot in three weeks. Now, was this a this was a a, a United States tour? Yes. Well, okay. it was in the state of Arizona, so we oh, okay. were all throughout southern Arizona. It was Tucson, Grand uh, was uh, Casa Grande. It was all throughout Phoenix, all the different areas. You know, all the there's so much. So many different places in Phoenix, as you obviously know. Um, and so and a little bit, you know, we touched a little bit towards the border as well of Phoenix. So we were kind of like near California. But um, it was an hour and 18 minute show, just Tom and I as the singers. And the first thing that happened was we got sick. Oh. And the first show we did was for 750 people with first time we'd worked for this agency. And, you know, it's a bit of stress when you've got a little bit of pressure there. But, you know, we've been doing this for a while and you just kick into gear. And we did all of the things that you would do to take care of yourself. One of them is it sounds so cliche, but is drinking hot tea, a lot of it with honey, staying away from all the stuff that would create more problems with your sinuses, like um, milk products and things like that. Sure. And also vocalizing getting your voice into a certain place so that you know that you can sing over that stuff. Because I will tell you this, if you ride a horse long enough, you will fall off or something's going to happen. And it's the same with performing. If you're singing and believe me, uh, especially when you're singing four and a half hours a night, five nights a week, like in the good old battle days when I was doing that, um, something's bound to happen. Oh you know? yeah. And, and I always tell my students uh, now in a show situation, uh, when you're when you're touring, you know, I just tell my students, you've got to keep yourself in shape. You have to take care of yourself. You don't stay up all night long. You don't drink endlessly. You don't drink. You know, you try and keep it to a minimum. All those things that can create your immune system from uh, from getting weakened, because when you are traveling to different areas, Phoenix, for instance, is extraordinarily dry. Right. And the more south you go. Even up here, actually, in the high desert, it's it's very dry here. And so and when you're working in different elevations, too, you feel it. 
there's a difference if you're working in Flagstaff is versus here. You're just, you're going to feel that pressure. You're going to feel it in your sinuses. You're going to feel it in your body and the way you breathe. And you just have to kind of take care of yourself. I mean, like really take care of yourself. So you have to be disciplined and you have to be focused and you have to, this is the way I look at it is it's your job. Yes, it is my passion. When I am working for people who have paid money to come and see me, or even if they haven't paid, they're taking their time out of their lives to come for an hour and 18 or an hour and a half to come see me and my show. I damn well better be able to deliver the goods. And if I'm just irresponsibly doing whatever the heck I want to do, oh, and I'm going to go snow skiing. Well, you know, no, you're not going to go snow skiing in Flagstaff if you've got a show the next day because God forbid you have a problem and you're not able to make that show. Well, that's, that's problematic. So yeah, there's sacrifice, there's sacrifice. And I think as far as temperatures and that kind of thing, you just have to take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to be mindful of, um, and I think you have to be mindful about your attitude too, because that can affect your physicality as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, that's, that's great advice. And, and it certainly makes sense. And, uh, is, is ginseng one of the things that you would say would be good or peppermint? Well, peppermint, I'll tell you what, I'm a big fan of young living essential oils or even distributors because we had some drastic thing happen back in 1996. And after that we were sold and we've been using those things ever since and mm. peppermint, great peppermint oil. Um, and I, we use that often. And that can be used even internally. Uh, you can just, it's just pure peppermint oil mm -hmm. and there's nothing in it that's going to hurt you. And it's very different than the ones that are in the stores. Not an offense to anybody, but you know, they kind of take things and put things in and take things out. Some of those oils, not all of them, but young living essential oils is a great, that's a great product to use. It's peppermint oil. Mm -hmm. And, um, I've, been known to put it in water and drink it and you know in, in a bottle of water all you need is a couple of drops it's really strong yeah we're big fans of that ginseng i don't really use ginseng so much i haven't really had that much luck i will tell you this though um young living has a product called i'm looking right at it super c chewables and there's oils in them and i eat that stuff like candy when i'm not feeling so great or when I just want to keep my immune system up. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to push young living, but if you want, <laughs> I'm, I'm a distributor. But I can I get you with the order form. I can get the order for you. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, right here, right here. I can get your order, but no, but the thing is, is those are really good products. And again, you just have to kind of take care of yourself. Well, I, I think that's it. If that's your main focus, Hey, I've got 29 shows coming up. I better, you know, I, I, I better get my rest when I can. I better really take care of myself. And then thinking about taking that to a more global thing where you're in Africa for three weeks and then you're in China and then you're, oh, in, well, you know, yeah. uh, yeah. that's, that's a whole nother level of, I really better take care of myself. Yeah, because, you know, you're traveling. You also are on an airplane mm -hmm. with a lot of people. Yes. And uh, there's a lot of, you know, when I worked cruise ships for a while with my own shows, I would, the show you would go see on Captain's Night, okay, it would be like my show. Mm -hmm. Tom did that well. But I'll tell you what, when you're on a cruise ship and your show is seven days in and you've got all these people coming in and you're sharing the same air, eventually it does get you. Oh, and sure. I've, happen and it's not fun 
that those are those are the times when you just got to kick into gear and take care of yourself. And you have to take care of yourself. You really, really do. If you're traveling like you're talking about, you've got so many factors. Yeah. You're dealing with all the sleep deprivation and the hours, the change of times and and the environments and the food and what you drink and everything. You know, I just kind of think that it's probably best if you're going to do this for a living, you really have to you have to be responsible. You have yeah. to understand this is your job and you wouldn't drink on the job, hopefully, and you wouldn't put yourself in harm's way if you knew you had, you know, you had work, you know what I'm saying? I'm talking about a real responsible job or any job really. Sure. Well, I, I just got this vision of, uh, I, I don't know what era it was, if it was the forties or the the twenties, but you know, the, the old acts that they used to do in the nightclub where the woman would be in the long dress and have the gloves and yeah. she would lay across the piano and sing and oh, then yeah. go interact with the crowd. And I'm thinking everybody, every lap that she's sitting in is a sneeze waiting to happen. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Right. Let me tell you, working with kids, it's like every hand you hold every it's like, ah. oh, sure. Yeah. You know, it's a lot. And um, I've had so many different kinds of jobs in this business. I I didn't know if I ever told you this, but do you know that you are talking to one of the one of four at one time that knew the Dolphin show was actually out there singing for forty two hundred people a show. And I would turn around, so I would sing. There were like four of us rotating the show. Uh-huh. And, uh, I mean, this is crazy. This is a crazy gig. You're out there, and you're announcing the show after you have warmed them up singing for about 10 minutes. Are you talking about, like, SeaWorld? Or... I'm talking about SeaWorld. This wow. is a crazy gig. So I'm like, this is what I did for a whole year. with three, I think it was with three other musicians. And there were only four in the different, each SeaWorld had, like, four different people that knew that show mm-hmm. as the as the warm-up announcer so basically was i remember auditioning for that gig it was a kicker it's like okay you're gonna go out there you're gonna take your guitar and you're gonna warm up 4200 people that's what the stadium filled it would fill up to 4200 and sometimes more uh-huh. when it was like summer and there's dolphins all around you and they're coming up and they're splashing at you if you look at them you know because they want you to play and you're going to entertain everybody, get everyone to sing along for 10 minutes, and then you're going to run around this lighthouse, throw your guitar up in the lighthouse, come back around, and now you're going to announce the show for the next 25 minutes. Wow. And you're going to go through a lot of acoustic guitars because water and wood do not mix. Well, I didn't. I actually, I found this guitar, which I still love. Uh, I just didn't want to use an expensive guitar. I was like, oh my God, this is scary. Yeah. But I, I really didn't have problems with that. Um what was interesting was just being in that environment and sometimes doing seven or eight shows a day in the summer. It was very intense. Right. But, um, I just, you know, I don't know what made me think of that. I don't know what that was thinking about working. I don't know. I was thinking about working with kids and then I right, worked for yeah. several, uh, a few different times in my career as contra- as a contract player. Huh. And it, and that was a contract type situation. I wasn't an employee. I was a contracted act or whatever and then we they just we just learned <laughs> you know, it's like you're basically we were hired to warm up the crowd it was like oh and we want you to announce the show too oh, okay this is interesting <laughs> being in an environment like that with trainers running and and people that you're bringing up out of the audience and they're and pretending to be surprised when one of the audience members who's actually a shill and a trainer from the audience 
falls in accidentally and all the funny and crazy and scary things that can happen. Oh, and sure. Did. You know, I've seen a lot. When I was thinking about, uh, you know, you, you coming on the show of all the things that I thought about, we would, uh, you know, go over as topics. I never thought you singing with dolphins would be something that we would be <laughs> right? discussing, but that's actually kind of cool because not a lot of people have gotten to do that. Well, you know what? I'm going to tell you, I could write a book. Well, I, I think you should. So many crazy ass things in this business on this side of the business. You know, I mean, no, I, I'm not even uh, at this moment. I'll put it this way. I'm, at this moment, this side of the business that I've been on is I'm talking about your, you know, you're basically in the trenches. Yeah. Doing all these things that people don't even have a clue what goes on behind the scenes. Like nobody really knows what goes on around on cruise ships. I do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I know. You know, and I was a guest artist. So it was a, a nice place to be in a nice situation. It wasn't like I was working every night or I wasn't pounding, you know, my voice all the time for yeah. hours and hours. It was just like you're doing a show and then you're going to do it again. And then you're off for five days because you're the guest entertainer. So I've had some cushy jobs, but I've also had some very grueling jobs. And, you know, it, it gets pretty grueling when you're doing seven shows a day. Oh, for sure. Yeah. As a, a warm up. And, you know, and then I've also had those gigs where you're working in the places completely empty. Mm -hmm. And then I've had gigs where I've worked for 12,000 people doing my own music. I've had some really outstanding jobs and I've had some things where it make your hair stand up on end. What I've dealt with was people really funny. You know, they get, especially guys, sorry, but yeah. just women, sometimes women, you know, but it gets pretty harrowing in situations. I've seen some things. So, well, we were talking about that a little bit before uh, we started recording the show, and and you, you know, you've seen a lot when you were working in the clubs, and of course, you were you were young when you started working in the clubs. But what kind of problems or or experiences were you having back then? Well, when you're working in a club situation, what I found was people were they would just assume that they could do or say or touch you in any way they wanted to, or just do anything, say anything that they wanted to. Right. And I don't know if that's just being a female in the business. I think it, there is part of that. Um, I started when I was 19, I was working as a single and I started working in clubs where I had to leave during the breaks and they started, you know, it was like a couple of hours, happy hours. I kind of started doing that. And then I landed a job five nights a week, four and a half hours a night and my sets didn't even start until nine. Oh, wow. That's really long haul to be doing all by yourself. Oh, sure. Really nice. This particular place was very, very nice uh, in San Diego, although it could have a rowdy crowd. And, you know, the more places you played, people, I'd have very interesting things happen. I and mean, guys would just, I mean, I don't know how far you want me to take this, but guys could be really blue. Mm -hmm. I remember... I hadn't worked for a single for a while and I had my own bands at that time because I fronted bands and I eventually had my own band and uh, we were working all the big clubs in San Diego. This was in the late eighties and the nine early nineties. I went back to one of the first places I ever worked as a single and I remember working there and usually it was really nice. But one night, this is crazy to even tell you this a little, this is just a little blue. So you'll have to put explicit on this. Okay. Um, one night I'm out there and there was nobody in the room and all of a sudden three guys walked in the room and the bartender wasn't even there at that point. And they sat down right in front of me and one guy 
just started to rub on himself, you know, in front of me. I mean, they were like close. They were about two and a half feet away from me. Wow. That's bold. And it was very bold. And they were younger. They were, you know, they, these guys probably had to be, I'm going to say maybe in their mid twenties, late twenties and laughing and loud and really just unpredictable. And I was in my thirties at that time, but so there wasn't a huge distance in our age, but there was a sense of danger because right, nobody yeah. was around and I didn't, you know, and you just have to kind of play that stuff off. I've had to, um, I don't know. I grew up kind of around guys because I wanted to be one of the guys hoping that being one of the guys, they would accept me and not tease me or bug me kind of right. thing. So yeah. I kind of had that background. So I kind of knew a little bit of how to deal with things, but, uh, working as a single, I remember working a place where it was a happy hour. This is again in the, in the nineties. And I was working SeaWorld and I was working all these different places while I was doing that gig. So I would literally go set up on a break, like clear across the town and then go back to SeaWorld and do a couple of shows and then leave there and then go to the club. Let's say in Del Mar or whatever, you know, a distance away mm -hmm. from where SeaWorld is and, and do three hours, wow. you know, because you're making a living at this, you know, you're going to do all kinds of things. Well, I was working a happy hour once and there was a big film crew that came in. And they were staying at the hotel nearby and these guys were pretty rowdy. And so I tried to, I knew that I, I knew what I was going to be up against because they would get drunk. And then I knew that anything could happen. And there was this one guy who just had this perchance to always want to get on stage with me. Mm -hmm. And I remember one night or one day, it was like, you know, happy hours, like from five to eight or whatever, five to seven thirty, And he got behind me and I'm playing, you know, what are you going to do? Right. And you're just trying to figure out how this is going to work without pissing somebody off, but then taking care of yourself, too. And, you know, so there was all kinds of weird. I remember I gave Dev Ross an idea. She actually put this in a film script that she's got. And uh, I was working a wonderful country club and I was wearing a mini dress and the I was working with my own arrangements, playing guitar and singing. And the dance floor was packed. And, uh, there were some golfers there and one guy had a golf club and he was out on the dance floor and he's just dancing, you know, and everybody's dancing and he decides that he's going to take his golf club and he's going to try and lift my skirt with a golf club. Oh, friendly. Lovely. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Not all the time. You know, I mean like these are far and in between, but the thing about that is, that's the kind of stuff that can and does happen. You know, people don't realize they don't realize that you're up against stuff like this. It sounds crazy to tell you these stories because you go like that actually happened to you, you know, yeah. like that actually happened to me. Yes. Well, I, I can't even understand why, you know, you're in a grocery store and you're pregnant and some stranger comes up to you and starts touching your belly as if you're, you know, you have a sign that says, Hey, I'll give you a quarter if you touch me. I, I've never understood why people feel that they have the license to do anything like that. Yeah, know. I don't I don't know. I know in a in a situation of entertainment, I think when you're really close quarters with people, uh, and there's alcohol involved, mm -hmm. um, there's a there you've got problems here. Well, yeah, but who's drunk at a grocery store? 
Well, there's well, probably plenty of people. Well, I in a imagine. grocery store with a pregnant, uh, with a woman who's pregnant, I think that's just like you know, that's like a boundary problem. Well, I'm yeah, like, because oh. I mean, who's who's going to be the most protective person of their body is somebody who's carrying a child. Exactly. Yeah. Or or well, you would think anyway, but but it just I don't know. It always seems weird to me that people feel like it's appropriate do- to do any of that. I mean, the golf club thing. It's crazy. Is that crazy? Yeah. I mean, like who would do that, you know? But again, you're talking about alcohol. You know, I remember being on a stage, uh, in the last round of my bands, and we were playing this place. The place was absolutely packed. And I walked up to the manager and I said, great night, huh? And he said, really? It's not a great night. They're not drinking. Oh, right. Yeah. Because he's not making money. And so everybody, I mean, the place was packed, was wall to wall and people were dancing. It looked like people were drinking. And that's when I realized that I was not doing that kind of work. I was not in the entertainment business. I was now in the alcohol business. That's when it hit me. And I went, I got to get out of this. I've got well, to get out. Of you know, but, but I think, I, I don't think that's necessarily the right perspective. And, and I mean, obviously you've lived that and I haven't, well, I have, cause I played in bars, but, uh, you you are in the entertainment business. Your client is in the alcohol business. True. And you're subject to the fact that you may not have that work because if they're not drinking, if they're not drinking, then they don't value your talent. You know, I had mm-hmm. my bass player at the time looked at me and said, you know, Chandra, it wouldn't matter if there's Michael Jackson up there. You're running around. My that last round of bands was really high tech. It was like we were right about MTV. Mm-hmm. We were doing about 12 of my originals, but we were also doing a lot of cover stuff at the time. And, you know, when he said that to me, I thought, God, you know, he's right. I mean, the fact of the matter is, yes, it's entertainment, of course. And it's also being valued. You know, I think that we want to be valued in what we do. Oh, sure. And it was that feeling of like, wow, I'm not, I'm not valued in this environment because it's more about who's drinking as versus who's enjoying themselves. And so that's when I needed to get out of clubs. And I did, I quit my own band. I said, I'm disbanding. Yeah. I'm going, bye, have fun. Well, you know, I, I would say it's, it's possible depending on, on what set of eyes you want to look at it from, but, but you could say that if they are drinking, they're not respecting your music because they have to have something to enhance their state of mind. Whereas when I go to a show, uh, you know, everybody around me might be dancing or headbanging or or screaming or whatever they're going to do. I actually am probably the most awkward person to be in front of a band because I don't really move. I'm watching the show. I'm listening to the music. I'm soaking it all in. I stand there very politely. I'll clap or cheer or whatever at the end of a song. But while the performance is going on, I paid money to to go see this show. I'm only going to get to see this band once every two years, three years, however long their tour circuit is. I want to enjoy and soak up every little bit I can. If I'm drinking, I'm not hearing things properly. My vision is going to start getting distorted. Uh, my memory certainly isn't going to be right. I I think it's more disrespectful to be drinking than well, it is to not. But but you're there at a bar and they're going to expect that, you know, hey, you're taking up a table. You better be making me money. Otherwise, why are you here? Right. And it's different when you're doing shows. Yeah. You know, I do shows now. I don't do clubs. I'm, it's interesting. I am taking a little thing I'm going to do on Sunday. Uh, really fun. It's like standards type music. And mm-hmm. I just I love these guys they are very sweet guys. And um, 
So I'm going to do something like that. But I, I haven't been working clubs because club work is different than shows. People are there to see a show. They're positioned to see a show. Mm -hmm. And they have paid money to come in. It's not just drinks. You know, when Tom and I do a show or Dev and I do a show or I'm part of a group called the Dynamite Divas, when we do a concert, they're sitting and they're watching and they're not drinking. Mm -hmm. That's not. And if they have drank, it's usually with dinner. And now the show is after dinner. Um, and so that is a completely different ballgame than working a bar or working a lounge or working. I mean, anytime that there's alcohol involved where they're really pushing you to drink, 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 drink dance clubs. You know, they were dance clubs is what I was working. Right. And long hours, you know, four hours a night, that kind of thing where it's not a show. They can watch if they want to. But the chances are it's loud. They were smoking in those days in the clubs. And right. so it was not a great healthy environment at all. Um, so that's what I meant. Like, you know, when you when you look at all that and you're expounding that kind of energy and you're really, you know, putting yourself kind of in harm's way in an environment like that, um, it's just not worth it. Plus, oh, we're, yeah. getting paid, we're not getting paid that much. You know, when you think yeah. about it. Like, oh, my God, you know, I right. think about it now and I want to go, whoa, my Lord, you know, I mean, even if you're working three or four nights or five nights a week, you're still not making the kind of living you need to. Sure. And, uh, you know, I remember one night we, I was working a place and Billy Joel walked in because he was doing a show in at the sports arena in oh. San Diego. Uh -huh. and his whole group walks in. Right. And we had a chance to talk to them. And the drummer, great drummer. He looked at us and he said, you know, you guys have the hard job. This is what we do is not hard. People have paid money. They want to see us. You've got to keep them there. You know, they're looking that, you know, you're working a room and you've got to win them over. This is the truth. Right. You got to win over. You got to keep them in the room and they got to drink. Yeah. Because that's what is going to keep you that job. Exactly. And I would think it would also be a, an equally difficult task to be, say, the opening band for, a, a, you know, a famous band, like say that you were actually opening for Billy Joel. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. You've, you've got to be like, yeah, I know that you don't really care about us. I know that you want Billy, but we're going to be here and he's not going to come out for another 45 minutes. So you might as well enjoy it while you can. You know, you can imagine that. That's crazy, right? Yeah. I mean. I've opened up, I, Tom and I opened up for the Gatlin brothers about two or three years ago, but again, that was different. Mm -hmm. They, it was in this area. So there were about 950 people at that concert. It was a good concert. And we, and we did like 20 minutes. It wasn't a big deal, but can you imagine, can you imagine? I remember seeing level 42, they opened up for Tina Turner. Okay. Level 42 was a fantastic band. All right. A fantastic band and people could have cared less. And they're playing an hour set and people were roaming. They could care less. Great band. Yeah. And um, I remember seeing even Santana opening up for, I'm trying to remember who they opened up for. But I mean, I, oh, I think Santana opened up for, this is in the 90s even, the Santana opened up for Mick Jagger for the Rolling Stones. Oh, wow. That's a weird combination. I know it was very strange. It was awesome though. And that was a little bit different because Santana had been, you know, obviously been around for years and did have, I think it was, they came out with smooth or something like that. Oh, yeah. He was, he was more of a songwriter, a performer back then. Whereas now what he's doing at the house of blues here in Vegas is uh, a lot more just jamming. Oh, is that right? Yeah. I, that was okay. one of the only concerts I've ever walked out of because uh, for one, the sound was not good. So when the, when the percussion is, is overdriving the, the famous guitar player, 
Uh, that's a problem. But also, I, I didn't really think that the jams were going anywhere. It was like they just kept playing, but they weren't building to anything. It was not interesting to listen to. But but that was the one night that I went. That's so funny. I hate that kind of stuff. I'm like, oh, yeah. the never ending solos and the never. Yeah. Jams are only fun when you're in the band. or or if you look back at like uh yeah the 70s when you know bands would go on these like 10 minute tirades of of you know guitar solos and keyboard solos and stuff um but i i i have to ask you a follow-up question to all of this was there ever a time when you were working at sea world and there was a guy rubbing himself no okay good because that would really be weird Yes, that would not. That's a combination that doesn't. But I did see it. I did see a couple of things. Okay, first of all, on my birthday that year that I worked there doing that, um, I got a call from Human Resources backstage. Uh Okay, and I'm like, hi, it's Human Resources. Uh, We want to know if somebody's got a vendetta against you. I'm like, what? Well, this woman walked up to us and she had this card and she wrote all around the card about how horrible you were and how oh my God, how could you have this entertainer? And oh my God, she's saying about the devil. It was like shake, round and roll. You know, that's like, <laughs> I was like, seriously, you know, like really? Wow. You know? And so that was really weird. And they blew it off because it was like, please, you know, it was like, this person's insane. Yeah. Okay. And once had, um, there at SeaWorld, I saw one of the whales that we were working all of a sudden, all these emergency bells are going off and all the trainers are running to one of the pools and we had just finished a show and they were, they were doing some things and, and there was a whale that actually jumped over the window. Oh, wow. What do you do? I mean, you can't well, just pick them up and move them. No, it took a team of course of, of guys to pick him this blue. I think it was a, um, I'm trying to remember what kind of whale it was. But anyway, it was it wasn't a, it wasn't a killer whale, it wasn't that? It was yeah. just. I want to. Is there such a thing as a bubble whale? Am I getting this right? Like a beluga, I, a beluga whale, yeah, like a beluga whale, or something like that. I like yeah. I like the idea of a bubble whale, though. I, I want to know like what that bubble, is. A bubble whale. <laughs> <laughs> you have to understand that I have my own language. That's <laughs> quite okay. Yeah. I want to say beluga, but I was thinking beluga might be something you eat. Well, it sounds like a cheese. Like, <laughs> right. I will have like I'll have a chicken and beluga sandwich, please. Right. Like a beluga and caviar or, you know, something yeah, something like that. So I didn't want to like sound. But now that I think bubble sounds really weird. <laughs> but in my mind, actually, it would make sense. That's I mean, got it. That's I want. I once said to a couple of business partners, I said we, we was we were working around the clock and I said, we all have to decompose. <laughs> and what I meant was decompress. Decompress. You know? Yes. Well, but you're, you're absolutely right. Unless you get cremated. Uh, you've got to, you got to tell Dev about the bubble whale though, because she's got to use that in a story somewhere. She will. She will. Yeah. Like beluga caviar. I don't, oh yeah, great. exactly. Right. Isn't that, doesn't that sound like a real thing? Come it on. does sound like a real thing. It does. So I don't know. I live on a different planet. <laughs> but that's what creators do, right? We That's what it is, is we make things out of out of a blank canvas and we come up with things whether that because nothing existed before somebody created it. True. Like like Seinfeld, a show about nothing. Exactly. But it was, was something. And I and I think they did OK. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, that's right. And the, anyway, the thing with the whale, that was that was a mess. But it but the whale was fine. But Good. It took like. Ten of them, 
to put it on a big stretcher and put it back into, you know, boop back into the bowl, you know? Right. Yeah. Cause, and they've only got so much time because it can't, they can't survive on land for very long. Yeah, no, it was scary, but the whale was fine. And I have to say that SeaWorld is awesome. They have great technicians. They have great, um, you know, there are people behind the scenes of SeaWorld that really do care and they are really good. You That's know, all great. the, all the doctors, we call them veterinarians if you're working on a whale. Right. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that. An animal doctor. Sure. An animal doctor. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, yeah. So, but I've seen so many weird things. I've, I've been in every possible situation. I remember working during the Del Mar races because the Del, Del Mar kind of comes alive around September because they have the Del Mar horse races. Mm-hmm. And so the clubs will hire, um, all kinds of musicians. And I worked as singles for in different clubs, nice places, you know, and I had a duo um, and we were working this party and there was a retaining wall around the area that we were in. I don't know why would you keep a retaining wall? I don't know what that was all about. Mm-hmm. And so, and I, maybe because they would sometimes have a piano, a singer, kind of like a piano bar kind of thing, Oh, right, yeah. but it was open. So you could also set up in that area and they would move the piano away or whatever. So anyway, we're there, and this was a party of, for singles, and they were drinking like fishes. And this one guy decides he's going to get up on the retaining wall. I knew it was going to happen. We were performing, and I could just see what was going to happen. And sure enough, he did. He fell right towards us, beers flying everywhere, all over our equipment. We had to stop everything, of course. I mean, it, you know, you just go like, why do people do things like that? Right. I mean, and it was like a very large man, you know, like very wide with a beer in his hand, trying to walk this retaining wall, probably trying to show off for a girl. Oh, yeah. And then I had one time a guy fell on me. I was working. What? Yeah, I was working in a place was a big dance room. Um, very popular. It was actually a, a boat. It was called the Reuben E. Lee right there on the water docked, you know, wasn't didn't go anywhere. And it was a restaurant two different restaurants, one upstairs and one in the, the main floor. And on one side was the restaurant. And the other side was this really cool nightclub. And um, so, and I worked there many times I, with my own bands and then fronting another band. Oh, I'm fronting another band. Okay. Mm-hmm. And this is like packed and there's this very large guy and I go out the dance floor and all of a sudden I'm seeing it happen. He's coming towards me and he falls accidentally, of course, on top of me, I continue singing. I look up and I'm at the, my head is at the feet of one of the two players. And he just looks down at me with no sense of humor, which I thought it was absolutely hysterical. But I didn't get hurt or anything like that. But oh, I good. Got, That's crazy, you know. Got back up, you know, and continued. But it was just the, it was a, that was wild. Well, and that's the thing is that at, at the end of the day, when you're a performer, Unless it's something extreme and, you know, out here at at some of the Cirque du Soleil shows, they've had extreme injuries that have stopped the shows before. But, uh, you know, uh, the show has to go on and you just, you know, if if you break a bone, you're like meatloaf broke his leg and he was still out there making a, a show, a big festival he was doing the next day. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know, and he wasn't yeah. in a wheelchair. It's you do what no. you have to do, and and I you do what you have to do. Yeah, and that's the other thing. You know, people don't realize that. Yeah, I've worked many times, very ill, or uh, you know, really, really sick, and I've mm-hmm. worked in situations where you have a 
an impediment, you know, something's going on with your leg and, you know, you're doing high kicks and you're running around and people just don't know. They don't know that you, you have to show up. I mean, yeah, it's just the way it is. Well, that's, that's why I became a drummer. So I don't have to do high kicks. Yes. But the only thing is you've got to get all that gear together every time you tear down and set up and it's like, my God, you could have been a doctor. Yes. And I had a huge, huge kit at one point. It was six rack toms, two floor toms, two bass drums, a snare, uh, a buttload of cymbals. I, it was ridiculous. It was a good like hour to set it up every time. And, and right? as I got older, I'm like, I don't need all of this. Exactly. But even still, you know, you've got all those trap cases. Oh, oh yeah. Well, and I and I, I loved playing drums from like a more melodic standpoint. So it was important for me to have a variety of cymbals and a variety of uh, rack toms to, to play off of because I wanted a, a sort of melodic range as a drummer and not just some something that thumped. You know. Right. Uh, well, I, I got a couple more questions for you, if you don't mind. Um, no, I we were we you know it's interesting i was listening to uh, a recent episode of the deep purple podcast where they were talking about uh, a time when when uh, rod evans and his crew uh were going out and performing as deep purple and this was when deep purple was kind of not a band anymore and okay. one of the things that's kind of always been a bit of a debate when bands go back out on tour like i just saw john legend and the Moody Blues, but it really, he was the only member of the Moody Blues that was there. And, you know, at what point is the band not that band? When you pay your money to go uh, see the Moody Blues, you expect certain things. And if there's only one guy and they don't tell you it's only one guy, like, like where, where is the line for what is proper? And where is the line where it's like, you really can't call it that anymore? Yeah. Um, hmm. Well, I kind of think this, maybe it's about the person that's the most famous in that band. I don't mm. know. Because I, when I think about, for instance, um, you have your single artists like Paul McCartney. Okay, Paul McCartney goes out. It's Paul McCartney and Wings. Okay, mm. but that band changes and they're all really young probably now. And he's like the only original, obviously, he's Paul McCartney, but... I know what you're talking about. You're saying if there's only one or two people left in a band, how do you like, are all the beach boys together? I don't, I don't know. I mean, isn't there somebody there that's missing or what about, right. I, you know, uh, there's plenty of bands from the sixties where mm -hmm. they'll go out and, and they're not the same people. So it's like more like a franchise than it is. Yeah. Real band, I that is kind of weird, I have to say. And if there's only one guy left, I mean, yeah, they yeah. still have the right to the name, they have the right to it's their band, right? But it just it just seems like people are uh not accepting, or they're if if you change, like, let's say that the guitar player is, is the or the singer is the most famous person in the band, and they right. leave that band, and the band is like, well, you know what, we're not breaking up, you know, we're just gonna get another singer, and that'll be who the new. Uh, incarnation of this band is. And then there's people that accept it and there's people that will go and throw beer bottles at them. Um, it, I don't know. It's just, it's such a, it's such a weird thing. But I think if you get to the point where there's no members of the band that were in the original band, that's where it kind of <laughs> starts to problem. get, yeah. Like Steppenwolf, I think was one of those bands. And, and there's been uh, several yeah. others that, that have carried on, um, where it's it's like there's nobody in the band that was part of the creation of this, but then 
Is that wrong if it's the people that took over? Maybe they've been in the band 20 or 30 years. Do they now have the right to carry on the name? I don't know. I think that's strange. Personally, I think that's really. I think so, too. Just think like I kind of think like there's some weird thing there about that. It's like who's running that band then? Is it a manager? You know, is it somebody who's exploiting the name? I think there's something about that that doesn't feel right to me. Well, when we get to the point where Steppenwolf has been on tour for 93 years, I think there's I mean, that's absurd, that. yeah. right? <laughs> exactly. Really. But I mean, I kind of like when I when I saw uh, John Len- John Legend uh, in the Moody Blues a few months ago, it was kind of weird because I thought there's there's no there's not the connection to the songs that they're performing. Yes, it's it's more of a cover band that has a guest of one of the original members than it is actually that band that I'm seeing. Yeah, that's strange. I think that's weird to me. You know, I don't know. I wouldn't want I wouldn't want, I wouldn't go to a concert like that. It's yeah. strange. And I, I'm definitely not sold on this hologram thing either. It feels like a tribute band. That's how yes. it feels to me. Yeah. You know, it's like, okay, you're none of you are the real players. Uh, okay. I think that's kind of a tribute band. That doesn't feel like to me, that doesn't feel like just because you own the name, it's not the band. Right. So if there's not one member there that belongs from the original band, that feels like a tribute band to me. Yeah. I, I kind of feel the same way. And and it's it's really interesting to see the but it, but it really I think it all comes down to the corporate machine probably more than anything yes. else. Oh yeah, someone owns that name, you know. It's like Ugh. I don't know. That's that's my gentle segue into my real question for you. Oh boy! Oh my God! Okay. Well, so as as bands change members and their their writing influences uh, change dramatically, uh, they their sound changes dramatically. Um, people will also do the same thing. They'll be like, well, that's not the same band. Well, no, it's not. It's different members that have, have come in and they're putting their influence on this band or that band. And, you know, if, uh, if, if a singer goes out and you get a new singer, well, now it's that new singer has their style and their, their writing and performance. Um, you and I have a very big challenge that, that we face. And that is in the fact that because we do so many different things, it's very difficult for us to define our sound as artists. And especially as you get more into sync licensing and you become known for that, uh, you're going to be writing stuff that isn't your sound, that isn't what you would perform. Uh, right. How how do you go about defining yourself as an artist when you have your hands in murder mystery dinners, theater, musicals, mm. uh, your your rock and roll music, your, you know, you do so many different things. How do you kind of package all that? Well, that is a, a great question. Thank you for asking that. Um, first of all, I when I was going out for a recording contract in the late 80s, early 90s, I was going out as an artist. A uh, lot of hit misses and whatnot. And there was a sound that I was working on. Although I was I'm, I've always been a songwriter, so I still was writing all different kinds of genres. And I was that was posed to me many, many times like, well, what are you? You're blues or you're rock. You you know, you say you're writing country, too. You know, it's like, well, yeah, because I I am a songwriter. I'm a create I'm a creative and I've never liked being in a box of this is who you are. You know, mm-hmm. unfortunately, the business always wants to do that. That that seems to be something that, you know. It's kind of a crazy thing to me because I think that the arts is really about being creative. Why does it have to be one thing or you're another? How about you're able 
to do it if you're able. That's why I really respect someone like Lady Gaga who can sing standards mm-hmm. and she can turn around and all of a sudden she can sing a, a, a song from Sound of Music. And yeah. then she turns around and now she's doing some rock and roll thing. I love that. I love being a chameleon. That's that's part of what I love. That's my passion, too, is, is that I like to be able to do all the things that I love to do. And so recently I had somebody who who basically I had submitted a song to and I and I put a little cover and and had this feeling that there could have been a connection with that individual, which I was very wrong. They did not get me at all. Oh, and oh yeah, it was like, wow, wow. Um, the email came back sort of like, well, wait a second. You just did a heavy metal song and now you're sending me a country song. So like, what are you? I mean, what do you really do? I mean, like, why are you? I mean, you'd be better off picking one if you're going to be. Can I just say, I mean, she treated me like I was new in the business. I thought, wow, this woman not get me at all, which is fine. You know, it's like you have everybody has a right to their opinion and not everyone is going to get you. So my answer to your question is this. Um, I make a living in the music and acting industry. I'm not Meryl Streep. Uh, at this moment, <laughs> right. that because I'm never going to be Meryl Streep because Meryl Streep's Meryl Streep. Right. Uh, but my point, I'm just using it as an example. I'm not some famous movie star, um, and that's not necessarily what I'm after. To be honest, I'm I'm really about the work, wanting to do great projects, wanting to stretch out creatively on teams, and you know, I am an artist, a single artist, and I also work with a few other people. You mentioned Dev, and together we're the two Lucys, Mm -hmm. and that's a beautiful thing because we are a comedy team, but we also do drama. Someone might go, well, wait a minute, you're doing drama? Aren't you you comedians? No, we are who we are, and we are creators, and that's just just what you get, you know? Then when Tom and I are working together, that's a product, and we we do what we do together, and then when I'm alone, I just like doing all of it. I like to do, I'll, like... In, on Sunday, these guys were pretty much like, you, you've got to come sing with us. You have to come. You know, We'll make you a guest artist. We've got to sing it. This music is like stuff like Autumn Leaves. It's completely different mm-hmm. than what I've been doing. And I haven't sung that stuff for a really long time. And some of it I've never sung. But I like that. I like to stretch out. And I really enjoy it. And that's who I am. Yeah. And I've come, kind of come to terms with... Hey, you know, you either get me or you don't. And I'm not, I, you know, I'm, I'm not in, in an age category of in my 20s, so I'm not really looking to be the next rock star. That's not, can I do it? Yeah, I, I actually can. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, and I actually can run around the stage and be crazy and wild and want to do all these wonderful things. Is it feasible marketing-wise? Probably not mm-hmm. in, today's, in today's market. That's probably not where I'm going to be focused because let's get real. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm not 20s. And now they want you to be even, you know, like more like 20, not even in your 20s, you know, which is fine. It's a different kind of market. But it's interesting, though, especially in rock and roll, because you've got the people from the 60s and the 70s that are still going out there and playing. I mean, Alice Cooper just had a huge hit with his last album. Deep Purple had a huge hit. Uriah Heep did very well with their last album. And, and you look at it and you go, rock and roll is not about youth. It's about people that have that mentality, that enjoy that music. 
Um, yes. You know, to some people, it's, well, you have to wear leather. To other people, it's, well, you have to have a tattoo. But it, at the end of the day, it's about people that love rock and roll music. Yes. And so I would say to you, I love it. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I love all the other stuff that I get to do. Um, one of the things that is fun about what I get to do and what I'm always endeavoring to do is to be able to use all of my talents. So I I have an acting background and I love acting. So when something comes up and it's presented to me, I'm going to look at that. I'm going to look at who is involved and, and make a, a conscious decision. Do I want to do this? And I love songwriting. Mm-hmm. And when I, any kind of a project that comes my way, if it's about songwriting, I'm going to do the exact same thing. Right. Uh, I like building my own shows. I like being in other people's shows too. Uh, but the same thing. I've gotten to that point where I go, well, you know, you can really look at this, you know, how does it feel? Uh, do I like, do I'm going to enjoy this? Um, that's become a part of it. But because I do this for a living, the versatility is actually advantageous for me. Right. If I'm going out there to Hollywood, it probably isn't, you know, at one point it would be, but yeah. I would have to become well known in order to, um, go into a different area of what I do. That's the beautiful thing. I always bring up Lady Gaga because I I so much honor her. I think that this is one hell of a talent. Mm -hmm. This gal is the real deal. Yeah. She's got the skills. She has the talent and she has a pretty decent business acumen, obviously to do what she's been doing. And the thing is that she has been able to, Hey, you know, she shows up at the Academy Awards and she sings, this song and from sound of music, the Hills are alive, you know, song. And here's Julie Andrews coming out. Mm. And then you say to yourself, Hollywood is so Hollywood. I mean, she hasn't exactly gotten a Broadway show yet. True. You know, it's like, they just can't buy it. I don't know. I did. I went, Oh my dear God, that woman is outstanding. Mm -hmm. And they stood up for her, but, and maybe, Maybe it was that that actually caught the attention of the people that for Stars Born. I don't know. And the other thing that I love about her is that she uses her celebrity to uh, endorse change and, and uh, make a better world, too. You know, with the work that she's done with the gay and lesbian communities. Right. And, I mean, she's she doesn't just say, well, you know, I'm I'm an inaccessible, uh, successful no. celebrity. No. She's like, I'm going to take this opportunity and do something with it. And I really admire that. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, that I, I love making a positive difference with all that I'm doing. If I can make somebody laugh, you know, if I can do something that makes a difference, you, you told me a story earlier off of this interview and I'm going to give you a story. Okay. So, um, I was singing, trying to think Tom and I were doing a show and it was at a community center here. And, there was a gentleman sitting in the audience and I remember thinking, I'm going to go up and I'm going to sing to him. And I did. And this was a nonprofit organization that was doing this. If I, if I remember right, um, caring kind of a, it was kind of a caring kind of organization that they sponsored it. They bought, uh, they hired us basically. Mm-hmm. And we did the show for people that, um, I don't know. They were like doing good deeds for these folks. You know, they weren't uh, elderly or anything like that. It was just a whole mix of different people in different circumstances. Mm-hmm. And so we did the show. So anyway, I went up and I sang the song to this guy. And afterwards, 
we were done and the person in charge came up to me and Tom, she said, you have no idea that gentleman that you sang to that guy. We've been very worried about him. This guy has been, we've been worried that he was going to take his own life and this and that. And you, what you did for him in that moment was so awesome. And I, look, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I just felt the pull to go there. Well, that's the whole thing about live entertainment that I love. I love those moments where you can make a difference for one person. Um, and um, that coming back so that you can actually hear that. You know, when you're doing a really large concert, you don't get the opportunity necessarily to know how you've moved someone very you true. That you can make a difference for at least one person. And I always say this, that if you can make a difference for one person, you if that's the ripple effect. That's going to make a difference for many people. So, you know, I don't know. I It's a really big deal for me to want to make a positive difference. I gift a lot of performances. I gift a lot of time and talents. Tom and I do that together like we did yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um and there's something really wonderful about that. And I love that. And it's a very big, if I was a big star, I know what I would do with that celebrity. I would definitely be um, financing things or different projects that would make a difference. And I've done, a, I've produced a lot of fundraisers that have made a lot of money for different organizations here. I once did, a, I, I, I spearheaded a, a fundraiser for a gentleman here in town who is an entertainer and his neighbor's house blew up and it took his house down. Wow. And right at the same time, on the other side of Sedona, there was a woman with her son and she was renting a house and that house, what the fire took it down to the ground. And so when I found out about our friend, I just immediately kicked into gear because I really care about him. And then I knew that this had happened to all three of these families and I organized, I was just, I mean, I was just like, uh, I don't know. I believe in a higher power. So it was kind of like that. It was like, this was a, like, a universal spiritual thing. You know, I don't even know how I did this now on looking back. But basically what happened was I, re- I called a theater here in town, regional theater that we had at the time. Mm-hmm. And I called the executive director and I said, this is what's happening. And I, this is what I want to do. And I see the whole thing in front of me. And she went, well, well, well what do you mean? And I said, you've got to call. You've got to call the, the guy that owns this outlet center and we're going to have an outdoor fair and we're going to do this. And we're going to do that. And then we're going to have like three shows in the theater and we're going to build this. And we're going to make money for these people. Mm-hmm. And so the only date that Tom and I had available to do this was the 19th of June. It was on a Tuesday. I'll never forget this. And I didn't even think about it. And I created a group of people. There were about 15 of them. I delegated it. I, I called two of my dear friends and said, you need to help me with this. I need someone who can help me and I need someone else to finance this. I keep the, keep the finances because we're going to have money coming in. Right. And she now happens to be the mayor of Sedona. But she was, <laughs> at that time I was working with her and some other things and she's an accountant. So I knew she knew what she was doing and she said yes. And then my other friend said yes. And so then we had like three meetings. It was two weeks and we got it done and yeah. we ended up making 30, thousand dollars on a tuesday whoa that's crazy each family walked away with ten thousand dollars in their pocket and let me tell you what this was like it was like 
we, Tom and I were performing, we were touring a children's show that we created for the Arizona library system. So we were doing that and I would come home and I would just, I'd get on the computer and I would just start talking to everybody. How's this? What's going on with that? One person was in charge of all the families and getting clothing to them. Another was all about working on getting the city to be okay with this and that. Cause we had some things we had to pay. The other was about staging. When we got to the gig, the Sedona Chamber of Commerce, who I absolutely adore, and we work with them all the time, they, we had worked with them. They got us all these pop-up tents. We had the huge fair. We had tons of people because I had someone doing a bake sale. There were tons of people baking. And we had this enormous bake sale. We had all these different booths where people could come and play games and be dunked. And, you know, we just had all these things. Tom emceed a stage outside. We had all this entertainment that I booked and nope, everyone did it as a gift. Mm -hmm. And then we had three shows in the theater. We had one that was early, like a daytime show with other stuff going on outside. And then we had, um, like a late afternoon was an improv show with an improv group. And then the late show, we actually sold a lot more but like as far as it was more expensive to go to, I think it was, and it wasn't even that bad. It was like, I don't know, $30 or something, a ticket. Mm -hmm. And we sold it out. And I just remember at the top of this whole morning, I, I thought, what are you doing? It's a Tuesday. No one's coming. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking. And I, and the thought came to me, it was like, Chandra, this worked out. There's a reason for it. Trust. Right. And so I did. And the nighttime show, we sold it out. We had the people whose homes had burned down there. One, the couple that, the couple that the house had blown up had a family, and they had pets, and those pets were killed in that fire. Oh. We put it out for the Humane Society to give them a choice of animals. Mm -hmm. We took care of these people, yeah. and we had another club that was also helping out. And the combined efforts, it was ten thousand dollars a family, and. Tom and I emceed the last show we were in it. I mean, it was an all day event. We hardly ate, but it was so, it was so powerful to have the entire community involved. And now I look back at that and I go, how the hell did that happen? How did I right. do that? How did, how did all these people come together? And it was just, it w it just worked. It was meant to be, you know? Well, when you're, when you're putting it together, you're seeing the, uh, the little elements you know, come together one at a time or two or three at a time. When you're looking back on the entire production, you're trying to encapsulate all of those little elements, the thousands of things right. that had to happen and making that one thing. And like, how did this one thing happen? But it's, it's all the little subtleties and all the little, Oh, okay, great. They're going to come and they'll perform and Oh, that's so nice. They're going to gift us a performance. And you know, those little things that come together over the course of time, but congratulations. And that is just fantastic. So thank you. And so it was the team, you know, it's like I, I basically what I did was I went out on Facebook was really it was emails and Facebook that I just went, here's what I'm doing. Will you say yes to this? Here's mm -hmm. what I'm doing. I got another guy who handled some stuff. We had some problems and I and he was very good with talking to people. And I said, you need to handle this. I can't do this. <laughs> Another guy doing all the marketing and the posters, and I worked with him one-on-one, uh, -on -one, and we got those out right away. And this happened in two weeks. Mm. So it was the people that, that I I handpicked them, they said yes, and they were awesome. And then I just led the troops and yeah. and was involved. I was very involved. But, you know, um, 
it was it was pretty darn magical. And later on, and I've done I've done other fundraisers. Tom and I made about eleven thousand dollars for our regional theater at the time through another fundraiser. We've you know we've done a lot of giving back. But my point in telling you this story is is that um, that's a huge proponent of why. I know I can speak for both of us, he and I, of why we do what we do yeah. is to move people, to move people energetically and to, um, you know, make them laugh, make them feel, make them question, ask questions, you know, within themselves, maybe, or their friends or whatever. Sometimes it's just about having a good time. Right. Um, you know, Tom, Tom's in the show five nights a week. It's the Blazing M Ranch out here at Cottonwood, and he plays the comic relief. And it's kind of a character that's become an icon out there. And he's portraying that character. Uh, they've been out there for 25 years. And Tom, I have a couple of guys that step in for him so we can do our shows when we get these bigger shows. Right. But he's been there for 14 years and he's there four nights a week. And so he had someone come up to him and he, he presented himself like, well, I was the police. You know, I was the chief police of uh, Jerome. And Tom's thinking, oh, my God, what's he going to say to me? And he tells Tom that his last his aunt's last dying wish was to go to that ranch and have Tom's character, he he portrays, pick on her and sing to her. Uh. And it happened. And that's the kind of stuff that makes your heart sing. You know, like yeah. you go like, oh, my God, like that makes a difference that. So. I just, you know, I, I just. That's what I, that's the other part, the other side of this. So when I think to myself, would I trade that for, if I had to trade that out for, if I couldn't, let's put it this way, if I couldn't do that kind of stuff, mm -hmm. like really make a difference, it, it wouldn't, it just wouldn't be the same at all. Oh, you yeah. Know? Yeah. And those are, those are the things that you, you can't plan that you can't. No. You can't you can't orchestrate it. Those are moments that just happen from you naturally doing what you do and love and and finding those people that, you know, you really just touch with your work. Yeah. So I get to do those things, which so is when awesome. someone says it is awesome. So, you know, it's like such a gift for me to be able to say, hey, you know, that's that's happening. Uh, and to be able to hear about it is even more fun, of course. Um and I just remember when I was a kid, when someone on the stage was singing and you thought they were singing to you, you know, how that felt. And it made a difference for me. And you only hope that you can do that, whether you're coaching or you're performing or songwriting a song that somebody really, it touches their heart and they come up and tell you mm -hmm. or whatever. I mean, that's so when somebody says to me, well, you got to pick one genre, you got to do this, you got to you got to find your niche. Well, yeah. I have found my niche. My niche is it's just basically who I am, I guess. Yeah. Is, is that I love to do all of these things. Um, they're all really different and I don't love one more than the other. I just am enjoying it. You know, when you, I, I don't like uh, certain things that you have to deal with at times. Sure. But that kind of goes with the territory of any job that you have. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, it's so funny. Somebody like me might go, well, yeah, but, you know, I'm not a big star. So I don't know. Did I make have I made it? You know. Um, and then you go somewhere like Ireland and someone's going, Oh my God, you're making a living as a musician and an actor. You've made. Right. Yeah. 
Well, it's I mean, all every, matter of perspective, right? Yeah, everybody has their their different uh, concept of what success is. To me, there's the level of I finished something that I set out to do, whether it's a song or an album or a book. Uh, that is its own level of success. The fact that it just got completed. Then right. there's the uh, level of, you know what, this needs to go out to the world and let people do with it what they will. That's a level of success of actually taking it from a completed thing to now it's out there for people to hopefully connect with and enjoy. Uh, then there's the commercial level of success, which is obviously, well, I, I made my money back. And then there's the other level, which is I made a ton of money on this or or whatever it's going to be. But right. I think I think the first connection with success is just finishing something. Yes, that. And I also think that uh, contribution is yes. huge. I've come to realize that when everybody and everyone is going to pass at one point, really, when it comes down to it in that moment, it's going to not be about the money so much as it is about what did you do that made a positive difference. And artists like yourself, um, like my compadres that are so talented around me and um, anything that I get to do. Um, I think it in the end, we really want to make a positive difference. That's yes. the success to me is to be able to know that um, you touch somebody and you made a difference for them. And yeah, I think that's, I think that's really the key, isn't it? You know, it's really it not a, the award or about the things that change, like all this stuff out here is so, uh, so ever changing, you know, it's like a changing parade. Someone's on top. Someone's not, someone's got the awards. Now it's someone else. Oh, it's just a passing parade. You know, somebody is the big deal. And then all of a sudden they're tearing them down. You know, it's like you just, it, it's very unpredictable and it's not real. It's most of it, as you put it earlier, is marketing, it's spinning it. It's all those things. But what is real is your contribution. What mm -hmm. is real is your heart and your intention and what is behind the projects you're doing. How do you feel and why are you doing that? Right. And, um, and hopefully you find your way into it where you can also survive financially and maybe, and maybe more, you know, maybe more, maybe you get to really do really, really well mm -hmm. while you're doing all of that and enjoy it that way too. Exactly. Um, just, just to let you know, though, I, if I ever do die and I suppose at some point that will happen, I have planned to continue along in hologram form where people can watch me uh -huh. sit at my studio and write either relaxation or horror music, depending on what button they press. Well, there you go. I yeah. mean, see, you have found a solution <laughs> to the situation. That's right. Mortality. I'm loving this. Is you're immortal. Yes. If uh, right. if they well, can have a Ronnie James Dio hologram, why not a Scott Haskin hologram? Or maybe maybe I'll do a podcast one too. That's right. And I'll tell you what, it's probably feasible because by the time you might leave the planet, which will probably be in another 80 years. Oh my god. Okay, so they will have that kind of technology, and then. You know, because like, what are you like, twenty five? I hope oh God, I wish. I they need to record me now though before I start breaking down even more. And <laughs> That's hysterical. <laughs> so well, funny. so with with all these uh, amazing experiences that you have and this yeah. beautiful outlook, uh, which I love, and and I'm so so yeah. grateful to call you a friend because I think you're just a, such a dynamic and talented person. Thank you so much. What uh, is mutual, by the way? Thank you. There, thank you. Uh, where, where do you want this all to head next? What's, what's kind of the outlook for you over the next uh, couple of years? 
Well, what I am looking to do right now is I still want to perform. Um, I mean, in a perfect world, this is what it would be. I would have some of my songs placed in sync, uh, sync deals. Mm-hmm. I would be working on some films, uh, perhaps as an actor, a character actor. Um, I would love to be doing some stage work in my own shows like Hot Flashes on the Trail, or we've got two more that we're working on. We oh, have good. a music- yeah, we're writing a new musical. Uh, well, actually, we are writing a, right now. I've got to write songs to a, a small musical that's actually, hopefully, will have big effects. Um, this is going to tour middle schools, and it will help give kids tools to come to the table and talk and be able to deal with conflict, kind of a oh. conflict resolution kind of show. That sounds wonderful. Yeah, it's really fun. We already have the cast. Um, Happy to say they're students and kids that both Dev and I have worked with, too, together. Um, and we've already had the read. The script is fabulous. She wrote a great script. And now I'm writing about six songs for that. And we already have people that are working on uh, building a nonprofit for us so that we can get this out. So oh, we're excited yay. about that. Yeah. And we already have our school supervisor here wanting to have this show tour in this area. So we've just I've just got to write the songs. So I'm doing that. But we also have another musical that we have uh, we're going to be working on right after this one. And this is a pretty big one. And what I love to see this be picked up, I would just love it. I mean, that would be a, a real dream. Um, so I'm focused on writing songs for sync licensing, mm-hmm. um, collaborating. Looking, I would still love. There's a part of me I have to admit, going back to New York was like, oh my god, you know, I just <laughs> missed that town so badly. Not that I want to move there, no, but boy, oh howdy, would I love to work in theater there? Oh sure, uh, I would love to do that. It's a great theater uh, town. Yeah, it's just a fabulous town, you know. And I just and I love theater. That is a huge love of mine. Um, so I would say the same of what I'm doing, but in bigger projects. I like that. Bigger financial rewards. That's how I would put it. Yeah. You know, is, um, my dream is to get those musicals produced and published and my new songs being licensed in sync deals and just a lot of performing. Let's make it happen. Oh, and, and I do want to say this, since I am a voiceover artist, I would love, 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 love to be doing some, some work with that in film and uh, mainly with animation. I would love that because I have a million characters and um, just love doing that stuff. And I've had my share of it. I've done quite a bit. I haven't done any animation work on a bigger scale. Mm-hmm. I've done some things like I did an audio book about bees. I got to play all these different bees. It was all meant towards teaching children about the importance of bees wow. and it's an adorable book. It's an audio book and there were songs and a whole story and it's, it's called the BB Jubilee or something. It's just absolutely <laughs> that's, adorable. It's a cool name. It's such a, was such a fun project. And, um, yeah, that was a great project. And I just, I just love doing character voices. So I would love to do that too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I wish you the absolute best in all of this and I'm going to enjoy every moment of watching all this come to fruition. Thank you. Thank you so much. And you're, you're awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Show. Yeah. Talked the longest of any guests. 
it's it's probably up there. I I don't know what the longest uh, interview I've done was, but I mean we're right now creeping up on uh, two hours and nineteen minutes. Uh, as, I'm, as I'm looking at the clock on the computer right now. Uh, and every minute has been a joy. So thank you so much for taking time out. I know you've got some music to write, as do I. Uh, so yes, I know, I know. We are going to get on it. I'm excited what you're doing and oh, the best you. to you and all that you're doing. And I want to see all your dreams coming true. And you're doing so well. I'm just like cheering you on all the time. Oh, well, that means the world to me. Thank you so much, Chandra. Definitely come back and see us again. And we're going to have the links to as many things as you, you have links to in the show notes and so that people can come and check it out. But definitely if you're in the Sedona area uh, or if they're able to go out on tour, which is a, a goal, go see them. They're both amazing, amazing people, Dev and, and Chandra. And I don't know your husband, but I'm going to guess that he's amazing too. He is. I'm, I'm very uh, just it's wonderful to work with him. He's a fantastic artist. He He's really got to have a lot of energy to keep up with you. That's all I can say. <laughs> True. Indeed. I, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I do know Dev's husband and I know that he has the energy to keep up with her. But <laughs> yeah, Tom, it, Tom does keep up. Yeah, he does. That's and he's awesome. got his own stuff he's doing too. So he's pretty, uh, he's pretty energetic himself. So oh, I love it. I love being around all these creative and energetic and passionate and driven and making it happen people, because there's a big difference between talking about it and doing it. And we're all out there doing it. And I love that. It is. It's a wonderful thing. Yes. And it's inspiring to those out there who are listening. If you want to do it, you can do it. Yeah. Really. You know, you can, you can make it happen. Just find a way to get yourself out there. I always say show up. It wasn't right. who was it that said it's 80% of life is showing up. And it's so true. I, you know, I know, I know, I know that phrase. I don't know who said it, but it's very wise. I think it was Woody Allen, actually. I remember reading that. It's like amazing to me it was Woody Allen. But, you know, consider what a talent he is. Yeah. Uh, maybe kind of some personal things, but, hey, everybody's got personal stuff. And, you know, this guy was a mover and a shaker when he was really doing his thing out there, a pioneer in comedy and film. And um, he was right. 80% of life is showing up. And I'm a firm believer that if you just say enough things, sooner or later, one of them will be a gem. True, true. Yes, you're probably right. It's why I do this show. Like bubble whale. (laughs) Bubble whale. I actually looked it up. Okay, I'm just saying. I just looked it up. Yeah. And I guess there is a toy called a bubble whale. Really? I shouldn't be surprised. It just sounds cute. It does sound cute. And there's a bubble making machine with a whale. Yes. I mean, so like, where did they get the bubble whale from then? If they're calling it a bubble whale, there has to be an actual bubble whale. I, I think that we should dig into this. I'm curious now. <laughs> it's a great way to end the show, isn't it? It, it's like, <laughs> it so all really is. So looking for a whale that is called a bubble whale. Yes. And if you, if you spot one, send us pictures. Perfect. I have a bubble blowing whale that I could show you that. That would be good. A yeah. friend of mine let me borrow her, you know, the, like a T-ball. Uh, but it was, it was shaped like a sea creature and it was called a manatee. T-E-A. That's good. I love it. Well, Sean, you come and, and visit us anytime. Your 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 energy is unbelievable. And I, I know it's just going to continue to grow and grow. So keep at it. Get those uh, sync licenses going. Thank you. I appreciate it. You just keep doing what you're doing because you're doing great. Well, thank you so much. I, I will <laughs> do my best. <laughs> right. Take care, Chandra. Take care. Thanks, Scott, so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.
Bye-bye. Yeah, isn't she awesome? Uh, take some time. Go watch the, the video of her song. The show is in the show links. Uh, you can also uh, link to her in the many links that we have. And uh, she's got so many great things going on. Go check her out. She's an absolutely wonderful person, whether you like her as a musician, as an actor, or as a musician and actor. Uh, she's absolutely dynamic, very, very talented. I'm very honored to call her my friend. And thank you guys for tuning in to another episode. I will be back next week with another episode, and then we'll have a couple of special episodes coming up if uh, if all goes well. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Cheers.